Welcome to the Mile High Fi Club podcast. I am your host, Carl Jensen, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about something that we've made fun of many times. And Doug, honestly, when you told me that we you wanted to talk about this, I thought it was going to be a joke too. But then I read the outline and it turns out you're serious. So what are we going to talk about today, Doug? I am now interested in crypto and I, I'm surprised too. Like you said, I mean, for years I was basically uninterested, a little confused by the whole thing and just wanted to stay away from it. But a few things have happened um, that kind of changed my opinion of the whole thing. Basically, I just have gotten like a lot more new information. And I think I kind of wanted to like be involved somehow, but there were some pieces that I didn't necessarily understand and like some of the parties and stakeholders in crypto and Bitcoin and that sort of thing. I just, I wasn't necessarily trusting everything they were saying. So we'll, we'll unpack all of that stuff. And I was going to say, as I was thinking about this episode, I remembered not that long ago, we had a mailbag show episode number nine. And we basically both said, yeah, we don't care about crypto. We got better things to do. So here we are just a few months later. Yeah. And this will be interesting. I know that we have audience members that are interested in it because they have commented on the YouTube channel. So please be gentle on us. If you can teach us based on this conversation, please leave comments and help educate us too, because I'm willing to, I'd really like to learn more about it too. I'm curious, before we get into your change of heart, Doug, do you remember when you first heard about crypto or what your first experience with it was? It was around, I I think it was the early 20-teens or so. So it may have been around like 2012. 12-ish, maybe a little bit sooner, but I distinctly remember my brother-in-law told me about Bitcoin and he was telling me about like the mining rigs and you could build these machines with uh, graphics cards and stuff like that. And I, at the time, like I was building my own computers and stuff. So I was thinking, oh, this is kind of interesting, but it all sounded so scammy. So I was like, I don't know, man. And my brother-in-law, good dude. I don't think he listens to this, but at the time, he had a lot of like, maybe like get rich quick or I'll just leave it at that. Maybe get rich quick schemes or things that I was like, ah, I'm I'm not going to do that. So yeah, it's been a few years. So probably I would say at least 2013. And I remember I was sending uh, my brother-in-law an email recently and I found an email from 2013 where he said, oh, we, we could have purchased or bought the mining rigs and it would have been like 100x from the investment at that time. So now it would have been like, whatever, hundreds of millions of dollars or something crazy. Wow. And we would not be sitting here if that had happened. You would be living in your chateau above Telluride or something like that. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be something else. And I guess before we get into uh, the details here, this is just a very we'll say entertainment. That's a pretty generous word. So it's not investment advice. Do your own research. We're just talking about uh, some concepts and ideas, not investment advice. In what you just said, it might not even be entertaining. So I'm (laughs) I'm not sure what's left after that. Yeah. I'm going to be leaning on you heavy here. So I guess we can get into it. So why the change of heart, right? For me, it was one specific episode. We've alluded to the Lex Friedman podcast a couple of times. So I listened to probably maybe half of the shows or so. 
And this was episode 231 with Alex Gladstein. And the title was Bitcoin Authoritarianism and Human Rights. And Alex is the chief strategy officer at the Human Rights Foundation and Oslo Forum. And basically, I have... um, not looked into authoritarianism or human rights. And I was thinking, oh, Bitcoin, I'm, I'm trying to learn a little bit more. So I listened to that episode and it was very interesting how he tied together the human rights and authoritarianism with decentralized finance in general. And one thing that's easy to for, forget about in our day-to-day life, and it's, I, I think it's probably like this for everyone, is a lot of the world lives under an authoritarian government and they don't have the freedoms that we have. So I think one of the specific things that Alex mentioned was um, if refugees are trying to leave their country for some reason, they have a really hard time bringing their wealth or anything with them. I never thought about that. Again, I, I've I've had a pretty you know lucky and privileged life in general, so I never even thought about it. And Bitcoin does give them a way, or at least a decentralized finance system gives them a way to move money, and they don't necessarily have to carry it around. Of course, you have to have the internet to make this work, but that was super interesting, and I don't remember the exact stat, but I think there's more population in the world that lives under an authoritarian government than a you know free or democratized or however you want to describe it type of government. So that really opened my eyes aside from, you know, some of the other headlines that I've seen or podcasts that I've listened to where people have invested in Bitcoin and they made a lot of money and that kind of stuff generally turned me off. But Alex kind of, you know, spelled it out again. That was episode 231, fairly long episode, and they cover a lot of information. Did you catch that one? I have not heard that one. I know Lex Freebid talks about crypto. Frequently, I just listened to the Elon Musk episode this morning where they go into crypto a little bit. But no, I've not heard about that. And actually, that isn't the aspect I thought you were going to go into when you talked about authoritarian governments. I thought you were going to say that that Bitcoin or whatever crypto is great because the government can't really manipulate it or have their hands on it. It's an entity or whatever, a construct that's free from government intervention. That's an even better point. Probably. (laughs) But yeah, the one that stuck out was what I just mentioned, of course. But yeah, I mean, when you look at the money supply, which you're probably a lot more familiar with, like monetary policy, I think you've read more, you know, finance books that are at that level. That alone makes a huge difference. Um, And we've seen inflation tick up, which could be uh, another topic for another show or several shows in the future. But yeah, the monetary policy is another, you know, big aspect of the whole thing. Yeah. So that's but let's get back to what you just said. I think that's pretty interesting. So if you lived in some horrible part and you wanted a better life, what you could do is take your wealth, convert it to Bitcoin, get to your happy place, hopefully, and then convert it back to whatever the local currency is, and then you've moved your wealth around effectively instead of having to cart around a bunch of whatever your home currency is and hopefully there's lots of bad things that could happen between you're going to be taken advantage of, you could be robbed, lots of bad things could happen, but Bitcoin or crypto, I should stop saying Bitcoin, crypto insures you against that. Your money's up on the cloud or 
wherever the hell it actually is. Yeah, I don't know what we call it. Yeah, the cloud seems like a good generic term. And one uh, little quote that I snagged from stanford.edu, and we'll link this up, is uh, according to the Freedom House Project 2021 Freedom in the World Assessment, 2020 saw a sharp acceleration in the global decline of democracy. By their measure, fewer than a fifth of the world's population now live in a fully free country. This is part of a longer trend of democratic decline and rising authoritarianism that's been underway across the globe for the last 30 years. And the thing is, I'm not political at all. And I usually I just I don't read anything like this. But the format that the podcast on Lex's show came out, like it all flowed together. And I was like, that's really interesting. And I never thought about that. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I just thought of something right now when you said that. And that's pretty sad, actually, that we're the world's moving to that. Maybe the pendulum will swing back at some point. But I, I was just reading. I know uh, China has had a lot of issues. The uh, central government is clamping down and taking more control. And I think one of the things that they've done recently is they've clamped down on cryptocurrency. And it's probably not directly related to what you're talking about. I'm sure they want to be able to control what the populace does and when they have a currency that's decentralized that doesn't have to answer to any any person or any regime it's completely decentralized then they can't control it so have you heard about that what china's doing with crypto or yes i think they what did they ban mining within the country is that right i think so and i thought they had taken steps beyond that too and they may have, and you know, this is the part where, and we'll get into it. I, I don't like to follow the news or anything like too current or sort of shape my day, like looking at investments or any anything like that, where I get like external stimulant to make me stressed out. So like I heard about several of the things like India has made some moves as well, but I am not up to date. And this stuff changes all the time too. And I'm not a person who likes to uh, like continually like stay up to date with everything. Yeah. I wonder if you are in a place like that, if you have, but I know China has the great firewall where they block what, what the population can access. I wonder if there is a way to effectively uh, Trade crypto or deal with crypto if you're in a place like that. I, I have no idea what the answer is. And I think a lot of a lot of the miners moved to Singapore, I think, if I remember that right. And one thing in this show, you probably will realize I don't have specific references to very many things, just a couple. So I didn't want to just like parrot what I heard on other shows. So I'm catching myself kind of doing that, but go back to the original sources and you could easily like look up any of the news things um, to make sure that you're getting accurate information. <laughs> so a couple other things with the change, the technology overall seems interesting. So I have a general understanding. I've listened to, you know, probably 20 or 40 hours worth of podcasts and different information uh, related to crypto. So I have a general understanding, but um, there's a couple other points I'll just throw in. Number one, there's a podcast called the uh, Tropical MBA, which I've mentioned a couple times. One of the hosts, Dan Andrews mentioned, you know, being old, he's not uh, necessarily like really old. He's younger than both of us, Carl, but he talked about just keeping it simple and like dollar cost average into crypto. 
And basically, I realized, oh, I, I could have been doing that the whole time. And I only heard about all the speculation and people like, oh, I made, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And uh, here's how you could do it, right? So I'm, I'm not necessarily going to trust those people that just got lucky with timing. So there's no proven track record. It was just kind of a flash in the pan. And when I heard the show with Alex on Lex's podcast, I thought about long-term. And I do think personally that crypto, I don't know what flavor, probably you know Bitcoin being the original, maybe some of the others, but I think in a long time frame, it will be more valuable. So in 20 years, pretty sure it's a good bet. So I, I was just lengthening the timeline because most of the stuff you see is like, all right, how can you time the market and like jump in and jump out? And it's a great way to number one, get stressed out and two, like lose your ass, like trying to gamble. Yeah. I, I've got two comments and I'll tell you, I was all set to buy 10 Bitcoin way back in 2012. I was talking to this architect guy I had hired to help me out with my home and he was super into it. And he had kind of convinced me to do it. I'm like, you know, I'll just buy 10. I think it was around $100 at the time. So $1,000, that's no big deal. And towards the end of our conversation, he went, yeah, I've got money in all these other ones. And I don't remember what they were. It might have been like Ethereum. And I thought he said Litecoin. And I'm, I'm like, wait, there's other ones besides Bitcoin. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, really? Could you explain that? He's like, oh, yeah, you could just, if you do this, this, and this, you can stand up your own coin. And that, after he said that, it turned me off to the whole thing. I'm like, well, which one is going to win? I, I have no idea. I, I think at one time in the U.S., I think over the whole U.S. history, there have been like a thousand car companies. And now there's like four and only two of them haven't gone bankrupt. Those are Ford and Tesla. So while I acknowledge that crypto might be the future and there might be a place for it, how do you know which one is going to win? So that turned me off and the whole currency as I know nothing about investing in currency. And that's what this seems like to me is, is there a finite limit to like the market value of, we'll just say Bitcoin for an example, because that's what everyone knows about. Is there a finite limit to, I guess, the market cap of Bitcoin to, I know there's a finite limit to how many Bitcoin can be produced. And that's different for other coins like Dogecoin. Uh, I think there's a linear way it can grow. So coins can be produced infinitely, but with, with Bitcoin. And I think I read like the last coin will actually be spun out in a couple of years. I'm not sure if that's right, but it's not too too far away. So there's X number of coins. What is the limit that the market cap could be? I don't think there's a limit. Um, so yeah, I think the total number of Bitcoin is like 21 million. Does that sound right? <laughs> I meant to write that one down. That that was one I meant to write down. But yeah, the the last you know coin will be minted in twenty twenty four. Maybe it's like a couple years after that. I can't quite remember. But there's uh, it's it's all spelled out, right? Like we know exactly how many coins are going to be and when they're going to be finished. So there's a fixed amount, and the thing is, you could divide up. Bitcoin into smaller pieces. So, and the value is like whatever, like all money, it's just whatever we believe that it's worth. Yeah. So, however much people invest and continue to put more in there, I don't think there's a limit. Is it infinitely divisible? I don't know. 
Okay. If it was, you would only need like half of a Bitcoin and the whole world could live off that. And then you just own point oh, 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 one Bitcoin or something right. like that. Yeah. It's divisible by a, a very large amount, but I'm not sure if it's infinitely divisible. Yeah. So the other issue I have with crypto, I guess, and I, I just learned about Bitcoin. I just learned this fact earlier today from the Elon Musk interview. And they were talking about how it's very hard, like Bitcoin transactions are not easy. And I, I guess there might be some technical solutions on top of that. They talked about light or level two, and I have no idea what any of these terms mean. But Bitcoin itself is not good for a currency for an actual transaction. If you want to go buy something, there's a lot of energy involved. And I guess some of the other coins improve on that. So... What is it? Is it a currency that you're going to use or is it a thing that you speculate on because you think it's going to go up in wealth? And if you're speculated on, if, if you're holding something like your guitar here, if you think it's going to triple in value in two years, what are you not going to do? You're not going to get rid of it now. So then it becomes less of a currency. It becomes less likely to be transacted and just this thing you're holding on to because other people, you think other people are going to want to hold on to it too and maybe more so in the future. Right. So I think with, you know, Bitcoin specifically, yeah, kind of bad for transactions. And um, we had um, JL Collins at the HQ recently, and he, someone asked about crypto and he mentioned that it's, you know, really hard to spend something where the value is going to go up and down and you have no clue if you're overpaying or underpaying for something. So yeah, transactionally, it makes probably zero sense to like buy or sell things with Bitcoin. People can disagree. I mean, I literally own zero Bitcoin at this point in my life. But if you don't know if it's going to go up by like 30% in the next couple days, like it'd be insane to spend or do anything with it. So um, transactionally, yeah, probably not, not a route. I kind of view it more like gold and a lot of people make that comparison. It's going to be a fixed amount and it probably will be more valuable in the future. Again, I'm looking out very far and I'm not thinking like, hey, I'm going to spend it. I'm thinking more like the guitars where I could buy an old guitar and it's kind of expensive, but they're not making any more of them. And, you know, some people will see those as valuable in the future. Yeah. Maybe not, but, you know, the other part is I'm not spending like a huge part of my net worth on guitars. That would be kind of insane as well. And I won't be spending a huge amount on crypto either. Okay. I wonder, so gold tends to go up when people are afraid of inflation. Like whenever some bad number comes up, gold goes up. I wonder if crypto has performed in a similar fashion. Has it kind of followed gold? Do you have any idea? Yeah. And we may steer away from like asking me facts about anything. Cause I just, I don't know. Right. Um, but I think generally, like if you look over the last few years, like crypto, right, outperformed the stock market and stuff like that. If you look at certain periods of time, so like it may not be a good marker because the amount of data that we have is so small. But I think generally, yeah, it has sort of been sort of a, a counterbalance to like inflationary stuff. Okay. So one silly question, if you were that person, one famous crypto story is the guy who bought, I think, two Papa John's pizza pizzas with 10,000 Bitcoin. 
What, what would that be worth now? What's 10,000 times 50,000 or whatever the price of Bitcoin it is? It is a very, very large number. <laughs> I was talking to another one of our mutual friends, Ray, about that. He's like, yeah, no, I, I don't think I'd be mad at all if I was that person. And I don't know if that person has ever been identified. But if I was that person, I would, I would think about that every single day. I'd probably have to go talk to a therapist. How about you, Doug? Would that, would you be upset? That would be rough. Yeah, that'd be rough. I'd be very upset. I would probably figure out a way to cope with it. But you know, it, that's rough. I mean, we we could think back. Like you were about to buy a hundred Bitcoin. Is that what you said a while back? It, it was ten, and yeah, that's six hundred thousand bucks or five hundred thousand right now. Yeah. So that, I mean, that hurts a little bit. And like, I was aware in 2013 and I could have like purchased back then or like dollar cost average into it, but I didn't, but buying the two pizzas that would, that would hurt to actually like spend it. Domino's pizza, which is fine. I mean, I like all kinds of pizza, but Domino's pizza, I don't know. Um, okay. So a couple things. I mean, this is uh, just a classic sort of flip-flop, and I, I try not to do that too much, but as uh, smart people, and I'll include you in that, Carl, <laughs> you're, you're very smart. So when we get new information and we change our opinion on something, like that's kind of good because we, we've learned something and we're like, oh, I was wrong before. And I won't know if I was wrong or right for, you know, several years. It seems like an okay thing to do. But let me tell you why I was turned off from crypto since like 2013. Number one, it did sound a little scammy. And some of the people that, you know, talked about crypto a lot, especially in the last couple of years, they just happened to time the market well. Now, they may have like underlying beliefs that drove them to really like bet the farm on you know, crypto or Bitcoin specifically, but I can't remember if it was on the specific Alex uh, Gladstone, Gladstein episode with Lex, but someone mentioned that uh, basically if it's an analogy, all right, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and talk my way through it here, but if we took advice from people that bought like the first Apple computers just because they bought the first Apple computers and they happened to be worth a whole lot of money. And we like put them on a pedestal and we were thinking like, oh, these people know a lot more than we do. Probably not. They probably just had extra money in like technology and they thought, oh, I'm going to buy this Apple IIe really early. It doesn't mean that they are experts in investing in technology. So when we look at the people who did really well investing early in Bitcoin, for example, and we're trying to take advice from them, it doesn't necessarily mean they know more. They just happen to be in at the right time. So does that, did I explain that well, or did I, is it, is it too loose of an analogy? Um, no, I think it's great. I think just to build on it a little bit, the same analogy can be applied to stocks. Like uh, just because you're successful, how much of that was luck that, if something really blows up, usually, and I think of myself with this with Tesla, I bought that stock in 2012 and I just bought it on a whim. So you could look at me now and think this investment that went from $5.79 a share to over a thousand, you could think I'm some kind of genius, but no, I got lucky. I could never have predicted the factors that would surface that made it go from $5 to $1,000. It's impossible. If you asked me my thesis and I was to be honest with you, I would say, yeah, I thought Elon Musk was cool. 
And that's it. I never could have predicted the factors or supercharging network and everything else they've done there. They'll make over a million cars in the next year with a huge margin. None of that was pre- was predictable. So I think that's the case for most. I'd love to hear someone who has a 100x or 1,000x investment that to hear their thesis when they originally bought that and that thesis came true because I think that's very difficult. You think how different of a company Alphabet or Google is now than they were when they launched. They were a search engine and now we've got Gmail, Maps, and all these crazy things. Our phone operating system, the biggest phone operating system in the world, came from a search engine. No one could have predicted these things. Exactly. So a couple of the other major issues is the high amount of speculation, right? So I alluded to it before, and I'm not someone who likes to check the value of things. And yeah, just getting nothing out of it. It does seem stressful. And I have no interest in being involved in like a speculative market. And that is, I mean, that is what it is. So again, the only way that I could like figure out how to like play in the Bitcoin area or crypto in general is say, you know what, this is just a long-term investment. I don't have to think about it too much. That's why I like index funds. And I I don't want to like watch the news and try to predict what's going to happen. It's no fun for me. So I'm curious. I'd like to back up a second. You said one of the things that got you interested in it was the decentralized neighbor, uh, nature of it and how it would enable maybe some people to escape authoritarianism. Uh, is that so? Do you think just that use case is going to help increase the price, or do you just like that it's a positive development for the world? Positive development. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it'll infect, uh, affect the price or anything like that, or value in general. It's just a good use case where I can see like it it making a bigger difference than just people trying to time the market. Sure. And this is semi-related, but I think it was El, so- El Salvador that just changed their currency over to Bitcoin, which is pretty interesting because I think that's somewhat of a rough place. I know they've had issues with crime and, and gangs and things like that. And now they just moved to Bitcoin as their currency. I think. I hope that's right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. This is not a podcast where you go to necessarily learn current events. It's just people talking about, I, I think we basically just read headlines and then we're giving our commentary on the headlines without reading the articles. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much right. I, I did all my research in about 10 minutes. So yeah, do as we don't do anything. Don't do as we say and don't do as we do. Okay. And then the final, the final thing that I'll mention that kind of push, it pushes me away from several things. When people are overly enthusiastic or maybe they're just a really charismatic speaker, I sometimes don't trust what they're saying. And it could be because a lot of sales people or politicians or just generally people selling bullshit are often really charismatic and really enthusiastic. So there's been a lot of buzz about crypto and like you got to get into crypto like you're you're losing if you're not getting into crypto right now you're missing out and I'm it completely turns me off so it is a you know a bias that probably like pushed me away from something that potentially was a good idea but yeah it's it's one of those things I'm always cautious if people are just a little too pushy with things do you have that same sort of feeling towards people that are charismatic? Oh, absolutely. If you're charismatic, you're 
probably that way because what you're trying to sell is a bunch of shit. So you need to try to sell it some other way. But I think that argument could actually be used as an argument for crypto because no one knows who invented Bitcoin. And I don't think we'll ever really know who that person is. So that person had no interest in their ego or trying to sell a bunch of shit. They just wrote the white paper, stuck it out there and let the world run with it. So that could be a vote of confidence for crypto. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was in, I guess, in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis and all that kind of stuff with the financial uh, institutions kind of just fucking up. Yeah. So, all right. Any any other things related to, I guess, staying away from crypto or anything like that? And, I'll, and then I'll describe my plan. Yeah, I would like to know your plan and what your measure of success is, but... Yeah, I'm kind of intrigued. I know I know so little about this. I'm really curious what the audience is going to have to say in the, in the comments about what we've talked about today because I, I really do want to learn it. If this is going to be a viable thing, I would probably buy it too. But I admit it's hard to wrap your mind around it. The whole, like how do we have two monetary systems running side by side? In, in the US, we'd have our dollar or whatever, and then we'd have crypto. And I just, I can't wrap my mind around it all. So that's... Right. I don't know. Maybe I'll listen to this other podcast, this Lex Friedman, Alex interview, and uh, see if I can learn a bit f more from that. But if other people have stuff that we should listen to to learn, please let me know. Well, the vision is a long-term investment, as I alluded to a couple times. So luckily, we won't need to uh, monitor this very closely. We could just look out like 15, 20 years. <laughs> so it gives me plenty of time to uh, like back out or anything like that. But I am probably going to, you know, start dollar cost averaging, probably a very small amount, maybe like 5% of what I would normally invest and just put a little bit into a crypto area, which I'll describe in a second. And initially I'll probably do like, you know, something small, like five, 5k, something like that, just to get the ball rolling a little bit. And I, I mean, I could tell you, I've looked at just the volatility of the market in general. And I'm like, oh man, should I wait a couple of days? Should I like wait? several months and I got to get out of that mindset and just pull the trigger and start moving forward and then it'll be fine. Again, when you zoom out on a long time horizon, it kind of, it eases the pressure a little bit. And I will specifically try to keep it simple. I have no interest in like researching all the different uh, currencies that I could invest in. So I'm probably just going to stick to Bitcoin and uh, Ether. So those are the two biggest market caps. So I'm probably just going to stick with those two. I initially was planning on just like a 50-50 split. Again, keep it simple. I don't want to think about it too much. I will probably double check and I may lean a little bit more into Ether uh, just because it potentially is a little bit more transaction-based. You mentioned like the level two and this could be a bad analogy, but the level two is going to be sort of like uh, the internet and then like web browsers. And then you have like other layers on top of the foundational technology. So you lose some of the, I guess, um, maybe security or something like that, uh, but you gain speed of transactions. So maybe... Um, and I don't want to talk out of my ass too much, but basically the, the different layers can make some of the cryptocurrencies 
more friendly for faster transactions. So Ether may be able to do that through, you know, their whole ecosystem. So I'm curious, a question for you. What would you have to see in society to know that crypto has finally made it and is going to be here for the long term? I mean, we're talking about it on this show, so I think it's arrived. <laughs> a couple a couple jerks in a basement talking about stuff they don't know anything about. It's here. Now, I think, um, I'm not sure. I don't have a specific marker. I think, I think one thing that we saw, which also kind of turned me away, is when you hear a random uncle start talking about like getting into crypto, like you, you probably should not take that in investing advice. So we were in that position probably like a little bit in 2017 or so. And then again, here during like the pandemic couple years, there's been some huge ups and downs, but um, yeah, I don't have a specific marker that it's been like accepted other than like, you know, a growing market share and interest. And I think like at this point there's, it's, I mean, it's, very small number of people when you look at the total population of the world, pretty small number of people. So again, when I think long time horizon, I could see this being like much bigger in the future. Yeah. I, I think about it frequently and I've never really, we talked about gold a little bit before. I've never really liked gold in my life because it, it, as an object, it doesn't have any useful purpose. It's just a store of, of money. It used to have some more industrial uses, like it's a, I know it's a very good conductor, but now I think the main use is probably jewelry. I know the James Webb Telescope has gold mirrors, which is pretty cool. But besides those two things, there isn't much use for it. So you're buying this thing because you think someone's going to pay more for it longer term. But crypto is a little bit different in that if it ever – if you ever can buy something with it easily and efficiently, then I'd say it's made it. So my, when I asked you the question, the thing I had in the back of my mind was when I can go to Walmart and buy like a box of ding dongs with my crypto wallet, then I'll know. And I, and, and any kind of crypto, like I'm not saying Bitcoin, when I can go buy a box of Captain Crunch or ding dongs with my crypto wallet, with my phone, then I think we'll know it's made it. I think for a while you could actually buy a Tesla but then they revoked that. They took that away. And that's a big ticket item. So, yeah, I don't know. Or that a beer, maybe, when we can go to left hand, buy our house, and buy a beer for like 0 .00, like 10 zeros, and then yep. a one Bitcoin then. There you go. Yeah, that's probably that's probably it. And I, I mean, I could imagine that's not too far off with the different um, point of sale you know, transaction stuff that they have going on. Um, and just, you know, we can just hold our credit cards in front or like pay with my watch or whatever. Like it's much easier to do that stuff. So, I mean, I, I feel like it's probably for like hipper places. It's not too far off. And then actually now that I'm thinking about it, a lot of places just have like an iPad or a tablet of some kind to do their point of sale stuff. So I could see it being very straightforward to, you know, be able to pay with a crypto. Yeah. There's a guy who does a lot with crypto and I think he's been on that tropical NBA podcast too. His name is Greg Gerber. He lives in Boulder and I think he was working on that problem, like easily facilitating transactions. So I'm sure there's a million other people working on this as well, but yeah, I think it's got to stabilize a little bit. We can't see fluctuations where the thing doubles or triples in price over the course of a month. But I, I guess that would happen as more people, get into it too who just the uh that would stabilize it mm -hmm. well and i think we should probably start wrapping up because we're reaching 
the end of my knowledge, but because I listened to so many like podcasts and researched quite a bit for, you know, just the learning stake, there are stable coins that are like, they're literally meant to be more stable and spendable and that sort of thing. So when those are like more readily adopted, that will probably be a more viable option. I have one more question for you, Doug. Have you researched, and this has been our ongoing joke for a while, what it takes to stand up your own cryptocurrency? No, no, I haven't. What, what do you got to do? I have no idea. I don't think it's that hard. It, it would be kind of fun to do one. And the thought I had was, like for, for Bitcoin, you have to solve a complex math problem to to generate any Bitcoin. It'd be fun to do one where the generation of the coin depends on you doing something good, like if it could be tied to your Fitbit, that like if you walk 10,000 steps and it produces one Doug, Dougie coin, like that'd be pretty awesome. But we'd have to be careful about it because people could just strap their Fitbit to like some kind of vibrating thing, strap it to a uh, vibration device that you could buy on Amazon for cheap. And yeah, then- Like a personal <laughs> massager. Is yeah. That what you're thinking of? Yeah, massager. That, that's what I was talking <laughs> about for muscle pain. And that they'd be producing like hundreds of thousands of Doug coin every day. So we'd have to figure out some way around it. Already my idea has holes in it and I just came up with it a minute ago. But yeah, let's let's come out with a coin, but find some way where people have to do something good for either the environment, their body, or the world to produce a Doug coin. That's a good idea. Like yeah, I wonder if there's any if there's any like that since there's so many, you know, different cryptos in general. Yeah, like the Doug Coin trillionaire would be some guy who would be one of those guys who runs like a marathon every day or, or women who run a marathon every day. Yeah, very nice. So um, if people have questions or comments or thoughts on this episode, shoot us an email or on the YouTube side, you could, of course, leave a comment. And we uh, often forget to tell people to sign up for the email list. So it's the Mile High Fi Club. There's a link wherever you're listening or watching. So you could just follow that link and get to it and uh, sign up for the email list. We don't send out many emails. We just kind of announce shows and let you know what's coming up. Sometimes we ask for questions for the mailbag episodes and stuff like that. Ooh, and maybe when Dougie Coin comes out, the people on the email list could receive a Dougie Coin. Yeah. Yeah. So sign up today. Very nice. All right. Well, any other holes that you could see in my plan or does, do you approve? Is this crazy? <laughs> but, oh, the one thing I was going to ask you, Doug, I'm kind of interested in this too. I'd probably buy a very, very, very small amount. How are you going to facilitate the transaction? I've looked into this a little bit before with Coinbase and some of these others. And I know there's even, I listened to the Animal Spirits podcast and there's other products where if you keep your money in there, they'll pay you interest in crypto too. But the issue with a lot of these things is they have high transaction costs. I think Coinbase was significant, at least when I looked at it, like maybe 2% were in the world of super cheap ETFs and Vanguard and blah, blah, blah. How are you going to do the transaction? Have you considered that yet? I'll probably uh, use Coinbase and I will probably, um, I'll probably experiment and just learn how to use a hardware wallet too and just like go through that process. And like understand it. I think from, again, a technology standpoint, that'll be interesting. I probably in the short term, I'm not interested in putting enough money in there where earning interest is um, interesting to me just in general. But I think right now it's kind of like um, 
I can't remember a good analogy, but basically they want people to put their crypto into their you know, financial institution to lend it out. So they're paying like a pretty healthy amount. Like, do you remember what interest rates you were saying? Um, yeah, I thought it was like 10%. Yeah, it's pretty good. So, I mean, if you have an extra million bucks that you could put in, like that could be really interesting to do. And I think they're just trying to get people into it and get people used to it. And then I'm sure those interest rates are going to come down in the future. I heard someone else say that. So I, I, I don't know much about it, but... Yeah. So one final follow-up. You said a hardware wallet. That means you're going to have some USB key probably here in the Doug dungeon somewhere with your thing. And that's if you lose that, you're out, right? So you would... Yeah. And it won't be here just to be clear. It'll be in a safety deposit box, not on my person or anywhere near where I live. But but yes, that's correct. If you lose your your key, um, you're fucked. If you can't log in, you're screwed. So, I mean, it's really like you know, secure if you're good at keeping track of things. It'll be buried in your yard. (laughs) When you said on your person, my mind immediately went to the Christopher Walken scene from Pulp Fiction with the watch. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Oh, he has to. Yeah, You don't remember that? He gives the, it was a great scene. I'm not going to say it because it's pretty foul, but he had to keep the watch in a pretty secret place to keep the, (laughs) his captors from confiscating it. But Doug's, just to be clear, once again, Doug said it, and I'll say it again. Doug's key will not be in his house or on his person or in any body cavity. Yeah, no one's body cavity. Okay. That's a weird thing to end on. Um, so I, I guess we just end it here. <laughs> cool. We got through an episode without talking about asparagus, too. All right. That's the first one, I think. <laughs>